The Annie Staples Show is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. College football ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts. GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. By the way, you can use GameTime to score last-minute concert tickets as well. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, and this is one of those that... It's not quite a things are happening siren necessary situation, but there's a lot of stuff going on. To make sense of it all, we bring in Max Olson, national college football writer for The Athletic. Max, did you, in your wildest dreams, imagine Oklahoma losing to Kansas State when you woke up this morning? Uh... I didn't. I, I didn't imagine every single Big 12 favorite losing today. How about that? How about just That's absolute weird. chaos for that conference? Well, I mean, the the Kansas-Texas Tech game, it feels like weird things should happen in a Les Miles game. That was a very kind of Leon-led against the Dolphins kind of play. I, I think that's maybe the, the yeah. only way to describe it. Yeah, that's um, and Douglas Coleman. Like, I feel bad for him because you know he he's had a, a heck of a year. He's a midseason All American for us. Just trying to make a play at the end there, but uh, oh boy, that's uh, that's going to have some folks drinking tonight in Lubbock. Yeah, that is unbelievable. And you've got TCU beating Texas. You've got Oklahoma State going into Ames and beating Iowa State, but the big one in Manhattan in the Little Apple. Oklahoma, they get stopped a couple times. There, there were a couple three and outs to start the second half, but really it was more Kansas State capitalizing on the mistakes that Oklahoma made and just ramming the ball down their throat for most of the game. Totally, totally. And, and you know, it, it turned into, uh, you know, people are going to say that turned into a little bit of a throwback performance from Oklahoma's defense to last season, but a lot of that was Kansas State forcing the issue and, and controlling that game. And, and Skylar Thompson, um, you know, throwing some, some dimes in, in timely moments. Um, I, I was like, we, I'm sure we'll get into what's wrong with OU on that game. But, boy, like, give all the credit in the world to Chris Kleiman and his staff and his players for believing they could do it and, and hanging in there and playing exactly the kind of game – uh, they wanted to play in terms of limiting Oklahoma and number of plays they ran. I think it was like 53, you know, owning time possession, uh, being the more physical team that they, they, they've got a blueprint and, and they went out and nailed it today. Well, it, the, the bigger question I think is the, what does it all mean for the big 12? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't appear that anybody's going to be able to beat Clemson. Now I realize we're saying this as we talk about a Kansas state win over Oklahoma that we thought would never happen, but it doesn't look like anybody can beat Ohio state everybody's looking for an excuse for the loser of the Alabama LSU game to have a shot at the playoff. Sure. Is the big 12 in trouble in the playoff picture or with undefeated Baylor and one loss, Oklahoma, is it all going to be okay? Yeah, this is, you know, when when we went back uh, a week or two ago 
on the athletic and got a chance to redo our, our playoff picks. Um, this is why I took Oklahoma out and, and decided to go with, um, you know, both Alabama and, and LSU in because I felt like, um, the, the big 12 certainly I think is competitive enough right now. And you saw it today with just the, the way that those teams that weren't supposed to win stepped up and, and won. I think the big 12 is scrappy enough this year that I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the big 12 champ is, is a two loss team. And, um, you know, I feel like the, the narrative around whoever loses the Alabama LSU game is going to be compelling enough that, uh, they could, you know, win out and, and, and make the playoff pretty, pretty smoothly, I think. So yeah, this was kind of the fear for the big 12 is you've got enough good teams that, that whoever your best team is, uh, either t- t- takes too many losses during the regular season or, you know, in the end loses the big 12 title game. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I'm not sure if this kind of confirms that, that Oklahoma is not all the way there yet on defense or, this was just a really good performance by Kansas State. I mean, you think about, you know, they cashed in that interception right before the half for, for a touchdown. They had the, the pooch kickoff that was fumbled that they recovered. They cashed that in for a touchdown. It really feels like they just every, – every little thing they could do right, they did right. Yeah, totally. And and But I think the one of the reasons why you don't just kind of write it off as fluky is because – um, this is how Iowa State and this is how Baylor want to play against Oklahoma. And they're going to try and take a lot of these same things when they get to play them uh, coming up down the road here. And, and so um, certainly there's there's stuff for Oklahoma, Oklahoma to fix. The thing that was baffling to me, because you know we all know Lincoln's the, the best play caller in the country, I don't know how you come out of that game with, with Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon combining for, for six carries for 11 yards and then Jalen Hurts running the ball 17 times that um, they have one of the most effective run games in college football. And I don't know if they just got a little bit too cute at times or what, I, certainly when you fall behind like that, you have to throw the ball, but um, really surprising. And I'm sure there's stuff that uh, Lincoln Riley and his staff are, are pretty eager to fix over the next week here. Teams that have Jalen hurts as starting as the starting quarterback tend to do that. You just described the 2017 iron bowl, by the way, <laughs> sure. Alabama's backs were, were pretty good for in terms of per carry average. But they didn't get the ball very much, and but it was because they were down because Auburn took a lead and Alabama was trying to come back. Um, so very, you know, different scale of points being scored in the game, but kind of similar situation. Sure. And you know, I, I do wonder. You, you saw Texas slow down Oklahoma a little bit, and and we're finding out now that Texas's defense is actually not very good. So I, I think you're right. I, you know, how will this offense perform against Baylor, which may be a better version? of Kansas state defensively. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Iowa state, uh, you know, they, they gave up some big plays today, um, to that Oklahoma state offense, which everyone's going to do when, when you have that talented of a wide receiver and running back. But I think this Iowa state defense is still overall really good. And, um, you know, is going to have a good plan for, for when they face the Sooners. And, um, you know, I think on the defensive side for Oklahoma, the frustration there is, uh, you know, I think Grinch has done a great job and, and, I was blown away by the the game he called uh, in the Cotton Bowl, but uh, that's that's four games now with no takeaways, and I, and I think that's a, a major frustration for him, and uh, certainly one of them would have gone a long way today. Yeah, it, it is going to be a very interesting stretch run in the Big Twelve, which is backloaded. I'm not sure they even intended it to be backloaded this way, but no. it, it, it's backloaded again, 
And I, I'm glad for that because that, that makes this a lot of fun as we go into November. Now, let's move to Ann Arbor because this was a game where, you know, coming out of the Penn State game, I, I feel like everybody was pretty optimistic about Michigan because of the way they played in that second half. But I don't think anybody saw 45 to 14 coming. I mean, they house Notre Dame. I I I'm I kind of can't believe it, especially when you consider um, Notre Dame had, is coming off a bye week here, so Notre Dame had plenty of time to to get healthy and get right for this game, and um, you you can't just chalk it up to uh, to rain here, man. Like that's 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 just a flat performance from yeah they uh, just from start to finish there that I I definitely did not see coming. Well, and and it was the way that Michigan did it, and I, I kind of wonder, did Michigan? find itself in the second half of the Penn State game. Because I don't know if you remember the 2013 Auburn team, but they didn't really know what they were until they were at LSU. They got down so far that they really couldn't come back, but they, they did keep fighting in the second half and kind of discovered what their offense was. And then the rest of the season, it just got better and better. It almost feels like that's what happened, that Michigan figured out what its offense actually is. At the you know in the second half of that Penn State game, and now they're going to be a lot more functional on that side of the ball. Yeah, I I could see that, and 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 certainly yeah, they kind of got forced into it tonight with the way you know sort of the circumstances you're playing in there. But you know for Haskins to carry the ball 20 times and Charbonnet to get it 15 times, um, and and to to go as run heavy as they did, um, I think it, maybe just because you couldn't throw the ball very well until it kind of. Uh, lightened up a little in the second half, but um, that that's the way to go. I mean, and, and it's funny. Ultimately, that's a that's a the the margin of victory is surprising, but you know this it, it was a little bit of a reminder of like, okay, maybe this is that Michigan team that we were all sort of expecting that could be could finally be a playoff team this year. Like you 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 finally see it at the end of October, but I think you're right that that may be them sort of stumbling upon an identity a little bit here. Well, and I don't know if we're sure what Notre Dame is yet either, because I think the thought was Notre Dame is going to go eleven and one. They they lost to Georgia. Georgia's really good. Georgia still may make the playoff, and Georgia still might make the playoff. But what mm-hmm. we've seen from Georgia the last few games it's played suggests to me that maybe they're not that good. They barely beat Notre Dame. Maybe Notre Dame's not all that great either. It's it, it's funny with our limited data that we have in college football that it's hard to really put the pieces together sometimes. And, you know, we'll, we'll find out more about Georgia next week when they play Florida. Sure. But let's say Florida beats them pretty handily. Well, I think that probably adjusts how we feel about Notre Dame, too. And, I, look, Notre Dame wasn't going to make the playoff at 11-1 anyway. No. We knew that, especially after Georgia lost to South Carolina. But that was, I mean, that's as flat as we've seen them since that 4-8 and eight year when Brian Kelly had to reconfigure the entire staff afterward. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels pretty inexplicable. And, and, you know, it was interesting the way it kind of broke last year, Notre Dame's schedule set them up with a bunch of pretty, pretty good games to build a resume. And, and the, the way the schedule shook out this year, that just didn't really happen. And <laughs> this was, would have been one of those that they w- could have really, uh, you know, pounded their chest about the rest of the season that look, we, we beat the best teams we played and, um, so yeah, like I said, to, to have that and then to also have time to get ready for it, um, just 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 a disaster for the Irish. Yeah, and look, there's a chance they still go ten and two, and some sure. New Year's Six Bowl is really happy because they're going to sell a bunch of tickets. But 
Yeah, I, I, I just don't know. I don't really know what they are. And, you know, it's okay. And Michigan, we're going to find out what they are. We're, they, they got housed by Wisconsin, and that was an embarrassing loss. They were looking like they were going to get embarrassed against Penn State, but then they, they came back. But now we don't know. Maybe maybe they are a little better. Maybe they're improved. That said, and I'm transitioning to the other big game in the Big Ten today. Sure. And I'm not talking about Indiana beating Nebraska. Well, that was pretty interesting, too. <laughs> Ohio State annihilates Wisconsin. Now, this game was close at the half. And then Ohio State just put the hammer down. And I, I, look, even if Michigan's better, and even though that game's in Ann Arbor, I struggle to fig- to find a way that anybody in the Big Ten hangs with Ohio State. Well, and that that's the that's the exciting thing is especially after this performance in Michigan tonight, you know, this Ohio State team has has still got Penn State, and Michigan in front of them. They have some formidable games, and 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 so I'm excited to see how they continue to grow as they prepare for those at the end of the regular season, but. You know, I, I know the takeaway for a lot of people coming out of this Saturday is is that LSU should be the number one team in the country because of their resume. But I, I don't think there's any doubt to my eyes. Ohio State's the best team in the country. I, I, I just think that they're the most complete team, the most dominant team in all phases. And uh, this was the kind of day when when they had the opportunity to really show that. And that second half was, uh, uh, I, I think, a pretty scary uh, showing to to everybody else what they're capable of when, when they get, when they're kind of firing in, in all, all cylinders there, that was, um, that was pretty special. The chase young thing's interesting to me because he was on a lot of Heisman lists already. He's going to move up those lists tomorrow. Yeah. He, he's going to, he's going to get some people's, you know, quasi first place votes. If they had to vote tomorrow, he, he'll get them. Do you think he has a shot? Cause I feel like at, with each passing year, People get a little more savvy about, hey, it doesn't have to be a quarterback or a running back. They, they they figure out how different players can affect the game. And Chase Young affects everything you do on offense. You have to account for him every play. God, how, how fun was it when they stood him up on third downs? Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> they were, you can see, see the Wisconsin guys just like, what do we do now? And I feel like in, in Wisconsin calls a timeout the first time they do it, and he's just walking off with the biggest grin of like they didn't know what to do about it, man. Like he was – that was uh, – I mean, I don't blame Jack Cohn or anybody else. Like you spend, a, you spend a long time figuring out the protections to account for him at all times, and then he's just standing over your whole O-line. He's a he's a joy to watch. He really is because th- th- there were plays where they were chipping him, where three guys would get a hand on him. He still get a sack. I, I, it it was a lot of fun. I, uh, I love the one where they decided, hey, let's let him through, and we'll throw a, like a quick screen. I think it was to the tight end, right? Oh yeah, and he just, and he just busted in so fast that Cone just basically he he just got rid of the ball right away. There there was no no way anything was going to happen there. I mean, like, look, I think anyone who watches that. Um, I think they're like there is a cons- there there should be a consensus that this is like the the best or most talented player in college football. I think there's a pretty clear consensus this guy should be the number one overall pick. And and in terms of the Heisman race, I guess it just depends on how these quarterbacks do, you know. And and, and yeah, um, well, like I, the the okay Jalen Hurts for example, I think the game he played today was an example of why he should be in the Heisman race, but he will fall because they lost. Right. If you look at right. what he did, 
he was fantastic, especially bringing them back. Oh yeah, no, they that they that would have ended up being a, a twenty point loss if not for 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 Jalen Hurts on that team, honestly, and just in terms of the way that he was able to be really steady and calm and and driving down the field and um, give them every opportunity to to try and come back in that one. And you know, I think were the numbers sexy for for Joe Burrow? Not not necessarily, but but it was still a really really impressive performance. Um, so I don't think I, I don't think that game hurts them at all, even if their offense wasn't flying around like they've been. So, I mean, I think those guys stay in it. Uh, we'll see how much Tua kind of falls off in that race or how much he comes back um, when Nick he Saban gets right. makes it sound like he's going to play against LSU. So we're, yeah. we're going to see that. And and you know, if that's... he goes bonkers in that game, then then he'll shoot right up to everybody's kind of number one again, and we'll all remember, oh, wait, yeah, that's right, two is the best. So it, it kind of depends on those guys. I mean, I, I certainly loved what – uh, J.K. Dobbins did today, and and it's been oh, he wanted to make and, a point with Jonathan Taylor on the on the other side of the field. My goodness, yeah, not not close today, and, and and it's been fun to see you know Taylor and Chuba Hubbard kind of flirt with Heisman contention. Dobbins, I think, certainly is capable of doing that, but it it, it does kind of feel at this point like it's just going to come down to to this group of quarterbacks versus Chase Young, and I'm I'm all about um, hyping up Chase Young because I I, I think that. Uh, I think he reminded everybody today that this is this is the guy you least want to play. There is another player who should be in the race for best overall player in college football, and he was getting blocked by like three different guys most of the day today, and that was Derek Brown at Auburn. They go to LSU. LSU wins the game. Auburn's defense, again, yeah. was really good, but Auburn's offense could not keep up. This feels like a really good win for LSU because it felt like I kept saying that they will not see a defense as good as Auburn's the rest of the season. So the fact that they overcame this tells me they can handle any defense they're going to play. Yeah, I, I re- really impressed by LSU. Uh, I, I think that when things aren't as easy on offense and, and, and you knew they weren't going to be today, you, you were kind of curious to see how they handled that stress test. And I thought um, that, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire really had a grown man game for them in, in really trying to uh, pace their offense. I think Joe Burrow managed it pretty well. When your guys aren't as open and, and you know, it, there are going to be some moments when you it's just not working and some moments when you have to strike, and, and he did. Um, really impressed by them. I, I you know, there had been some – I feel like there – there have been some kind of concerning signs for, for LSU's defense in, in recent weeks, and I think uh, this was a really quality performance by them. Obviously, Bo Nix struggled, and I'm curious what your, your thoughts are on kind of the, the continued growth of Bo Nix there. Uh, certainly he looked it's, more it's comfortable a very... than he did at Florida. I give yeah. him that. Yeah. But he's still got a little ways to go. I think he's going to be a good quarterback when he's older. I think when next year – you know, his next year as a sophomore, his junior year, he's even a pretty good quarterback. But, you know, he's dealing with a lot with some of these defenses he has to play, and he's still got to play Georgia's and Alabama's. So I, I, no, I, right. do think, I do think Auburn can beat one or both of those teams given the right circumstances. And remember, those games are both at Auburn. That's true. You know, you, you go back and look at these three games – that Knicks has played against top 15 teams. I went and went and looked at he he's, he's completing 42% of his passes in those games. I, I think he is going to be good. I think he's going to get there. Um, but like today, you know, other than two runs from DJ Williams, like they really needed Bo Nix to generate a lot of the offense and they're, they're putting a lot on him. And um, you know, just too many, too many three and outs in the second half that, that, 
you know, they had a lot of opportunities and just couldn't capitalize. And I, I could see him improving and, and, and getting somebody later on in the schedule. But uh, I, I don't blame Auburn fans for being frustrated by kind of where that's offense, that offense is right now or, or wondering if Joey Gatewood could do something for it. Max, I got to ask you a question. Well, two questions that I never thought I'd ask anyone three weeks ago. Okay. Will Tennessee make a bowl? And will UCLA make a bowl? Oh, my goodness. How about the Vols? Un- unreal. They looked amazing today. Where was that? Where, where did that come I was, from? I was texting with, uh, I was texting with uh, David Ubbin, our, our uh, intrepid Vols reporter, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, this is an eight-win team. I was like, what? Like, but, but it's kind of looking like it right now, aren't they? Like, that's just, it's just weird, but it's, it's kind of finally clicking for them. Well, and it's weird because they're going to play, you know, you, you looked at the schedule and you thought, okay, Missouri's going to be a loss, but now you're looking at it going, oh, Missouri's going to be a win. Kentucky, well, option quarterback Lynn Bowden is leading them to, to victory right now, but yeah, I don't know, you know, against Tennessee, if Tennessee's rolling, what that's, that, it's amazing to me because I saw them in Gainesville and they looked like they were not going to win a single SEC game. They were horrendous. So... It, it, good job by Jeremy Pruitt and the coaching staff. I mean, really, that that's that's all you can say is they've kept that team together, and then they they started playing a bunch of young guys, and and things are really starting to click. Yeah, and and then, gosh, UCLA. I mean, where where did that uh, turnaround come from? I mean, certainly, like you watch the Washington State game, and you're like, okay, wow, they're this team could could be a little right, bit frisky was a here. Freak show. Right, what's that? That game was a freak show. Yeah. Nobody was playing defense that game. <laughs> yeah, so you can't exactly look at that and be like, oh, this is a, a season changer. But, I mean, to, to beat Stanford and to beat Arizona State, um, and, and an Arizona State team that, that up until, you know, a week ago, I think we'd all been very, very impressed by. Um, Chip and, and Josh Kelly and those guys are, are getting it right finally. Well, and that's the thing. They are 3-2 and two in Pac-12 play. They are in the hunt for the South. <laughs> Unreal. UCLA USC might be for the South title. Unreal. I mean, it it it's 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 a good moment right now for these hot seat coaches, right? How about how about Lovey getting another win? Oh, it's it's unbelievable. They, I I I don't know how Purdue people are feeling about how much they they're paying for Jeff Rom Jeff Rom right now, but Lovey uh, Lovey did it. Tom Allen beat a team that was not Rutgers, Illinois, or Purdue. Yeah. Yeah, Indiana, bowl eligible. <laughs> wow. And he, and he was crying at the end of that game, and I, I don't blame him. Like, it's pretty amazing where they're at right now. Well, and, and that's yet another thing that makes Ohio State look more amazing because Ohio State thrashed Indiana on the road early in the season. We're like, oh, it's just Indiana. Sure. But now you're looking at it like, wow, that's a really good win. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, that, that was impressive. I mean, Nebraska's got a lot of problems right now. They – uh, the, it, literally all of their quarterbacks are injured now. They finally have healthier kickers, but now all the quarterbacks are injured, and uh, it, that was you know pretty pretty problematic today. That it's a Scott Frost kind of went off on that team afterward. That they're he just I, I I don't think he loves this team. He he's he's frustrated by uh, you know having too many guys that think this is just okay and uh, called it out. And and they're they're having some culture issues at the moment, but. Uh, uh, boy, that to, to come into Lincoln and, and steal that one when Nebraska really needed that one to kind of get their season turned, um, you know, 
props to, to Tom Allen and, and his crew that, that also didn't have their quarterback today. Yeah, I mean, that that's the other part of it. They've done a really good coaching job this season. And, and you know, Indiana, you thought, well, there's just no way in, in the division they play in, it's just not going to happen for them. But it's happening. They're, they're going to go to a bowl game. And, and Tennessee might and UCLA might. And it just goes to show you, I, I have a rule about tweeting during football games, Max. Mm-hmm. Never tweet in the first quarter. Because oh, you like always – end up tweeting something that will embarrass you later. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to change that rule to never tweet in September. <laughs> just uh, Or write just, any stories either. <laughs> j- right, just fill up the notebook and, and, and uh, you know, kind of file, file everything away for later and then uh, come strong in October. I like that. I, I mean, it is, it is amazing how much some of this stuff has changed. I had a question from a reader on Twitter tonight asking me, how do you view LSU's wins? Because everybody says they have three top ten wins, mm-hmm. and you know, I was like, well, I don't really look at it that way. They have eight wins, and on December eighth, we'll see where their opponents are ranked. Like, I don't really care where they were ranked when they played, right. because that things change. Like, Texas is not a top ten team, no. not even close. Texas will not become a top ten team by the end of this season. No, they're not back. Afraid not. Sorry, Sam Ellinger. It was a good speech, but no, not back. <sighs> and he he had a rough one today. Um, he he an unusually rough run for him. He he's usually one of the best in the country at, at, at not turning it over. But um, their defense uh, is really really a mess right now, and, and a lot of that's due to injuries. But uh, Todd Orlando, I mean, shoot, seven eight games ago, we were all calling him a genius for. Uh, the effort against Georgia uh, in the Sugar Bowl there, and um, they're they're working through a lot right now. Kind of a weird vibe with Texas right now, considering you know they were like a top fifteen team this week. Um, you know, kind of having some, uh, you know, had a player leave the program, another player not show up to practice. They're they're kind of dealing with some weird stuff right now for a team that's actually successful. And I think that weird vibe kind of showed up today. Yeah, and the thing is, they're on the verge of not being successful, but at least they did beat Kansas, something that. Texas Tech cannot say. Cannot say they did. Yeah. And you know what? It brings us full circle. We were talking about Kansas State shocking Oklahoma when we started. We will finish by previewing the Sunflower Showdown next week. Oh, yes, that's right. Kansas K-State is going to be a barn burner. I mean, and and you wrote about him today, like, uh, couldn't be happier for Skylar Thompson and honestly, couldn't be happier for Carter Stanley. Like those are two guys that have, uh, uh, you know, put up with losing, put up with bit. being yeah. benched all the time. Yeah. Um. And and are playing with like the utmost confidence right now. That's going to be like a le- legit fun game now. And and it's it's wild after all these years of watching atrocious Kansas football that uh, they they magically flipped a switch into playing great offense a week ago. Like it, it's just unbelievable. All they had to do was fire their offense coordinator. It's just like Minnesota firing its defensive coordinator last year. Now they're suddenly unstoppable. <laughs> it's it, you know it's, it's funny when you talk about like oh how we how we overreact to September like it's kind of a miracle that some of these teams like rally back d- despite us and despite all the negative <laughs> we are very negative sometimes. in September <laughs> yeah. and all the hate on Twitter and all the fan base you know kind of souring on them and stuff like it's kind of amazing some of these teams like just block that out and actually go do flip a season like this. 
Well, good for them. Good for you, Tennessee. Good for you, UCLA. Good for you, Minnesota, doing it last season then and turning to a freaking juggernaut this season. It's it, The Jayhawks are coming. The Jayhawks are coming, but they're going to run into the wall that is Willie the Wildcat. <laughs> Did you bring your power towel? You know, I this this was uh this was this was some some strong ema today. Uh, it it was uh wild to see. I saw Bill Snyder was watching with some binoculars. I I'm sure he was uh nodding approvingly at how they did it too. That's pretty cool. Oh yes. Every man a wildcat indeed. Max Olson, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks man. We're joined now by the athletic editor Matt Brown, also co-host of the Dear Old State podcast. That podcast follows Penn State with our Penn State beat writer, Audrey Snyder. And Matt, the Nittany Lions went to East Lansing. And I don't know if you want to call it made a statement, but I'd say they they did a lot better than the last time they went to East Lansing when it rained. Would that be accurate? That's the, that's the key point. I mean, Michigan State's kind of owned Penn State recently, with the exception of 2016. You know, it wasn't just 2017 when they had that long rain delay. Penn State was coming off the blown lead against Ohio State and goes there, long rain delay, and loses a game it shouldn't have lost. And then last year, they blow a lead to Ohio State at home. Next game, lose to Michigan State in a game they really shouldn't have lost. So it's kind of two years in a row, Michigan State caught them in a tough spot and, and beat them in kind of weird, ugly games. And this year, you know, looks like a bad spot again. Penn State's coming off of a... a physical, tough win at Kinnick Stadium against Iowa. Then the whiteout game against Michigan where they almost blew a lead. They hold on. They win. It's a tough spot after those two wins to go to East Lansing, play in the rain. Michigan State's coming off an off week, kind of desperate for a win. And the game was pretty much over after a quarter. And, you know, it was sloppy in the second half, but Michigan State really didn't have a chance. So, you know, it's hard to say it's a statement win given how Michigan State has played this year. But Nobody expected Penn State to go through this three-game stretch, three and zero, and to be undefeated on the other side of it. So, in that sense, it is a statement. You know, no trap game, uh, no letdown. They took care of business and then some. You know what? Even fewer people expected that an undefeated Penn State would be playing an undefeated Minnesota Correct. on November 9th. <laughs> that is un- on the same day as Alabama LSU. There is another undefeated matchup, and yes. it involves Minnesota. I'm sorry, James Franklin and PJ Fleck. You will not be getting college game day. To Minneapolis, not going to happen. So, uh, the the other side of that Penn State Michigan game, though, Matt, uh, Michigan State game is is very interesting to me because, you know, it, it feels like Mark D'Antonio is completely defeated at this point. That he does not have any answers to explain why this team has not lived up to to its advanced billing, and they just. You're right. The game was over in the first quarter. And then it just seemed lifeless after that. It's like they threw in the towel toward the end. Like, the game wasn't even – it was over, but technically it wasn't over. I mean, Penn State was kind of really sloppy in the second half, and which is understandable given the circumstances and everything. And Michigan State just – you know, they benched Lewerke. Then they ended up on their third-string quarterback, and they really just showed no real effort to get back into the game. They kind of waved a white flag, and – you know, it's their offense really struggled last year, and they took a lot of heat for not really making significant changes to the offensive staff beyond just reshuffling everybody's titles. And shockingly, it didn't work. 
And now they go through this three-game stretch where, you know, they they scored ten points against Ohio State. They scored zero against Wisconsin. Scored seven against Penn State. This is after scoring seven against Arizona State, and it just looks like, I don't know. I Mark D'Antonio has done an incredible job in East Lansing, and you know he's one of the most successful coaches ever. And they've had a really good run, but it just looks like a lost team in a really tough division where if you lose your way. Uh, it's it's going to be rough, and it, it has been rough this year. And, you know, they'll get to a bowl game. You know, they still have to play Rutgers in Maryland. But this is this is certainly not what anybody expected, but what anybody hoped after, you know, kind of a letdown last year. Maybe they thought you could bounce back. Michigan State often does kind of subvert expectations, but it's been anything but doing that this year. Well, and that's the thing. So Mark D'Antonio has earned probably the right to yeah. either – get another chance, go out on his own terms, that sort of thing. But for a guy who worked so hard to make sure he didn't fire the members of this offensive staff, and, you know, he's talked probably, well, forever about how continuity matters to him, how, you know, he they don't fire a lot of coaches there, that that's kind of the secret to their success. Do, would you see him maybe saying, look, I'm, I, I've had it, I'm done with this. I don't want to fire these guys. You can just go find somebody else to coach. It does seem like it could be heading that way. I mean, it's kind of a – I felt like that was even talked about before the season. It's like I, you you figure it's, he's going to step aside at some point in the, in the near future. It's not going to last forever here. And just with the way last season went and with the frustration that is really, really building, you know, is he really going to like reboot it by, you know, firing half a staff and bringing in new, new minds? Or is he just going to say, you know, enough is enough? And I don't know. It, it just – it feels like it's trending in that direction. You know, we don't know for sure, but yeah, nothing in his history, nothing in his history suggests that he's going right. to fire everybody or be willing to fire everybody. Yeah, and and so I I I have my doubts. I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think any of us would be shocked at this point if if this was the last year. You know, where we don't we don't know what he's thinking, but I don't think any of us would be surprised. Let's talk about the other coach at a Big Ten school in Michigan because Jim Harbaugh had one of his biggest wins of his tenure there tonight, just destroying Notre Dame. And I got to say, I didn't see this one coming. I I thought Michigan would have a chance to win the game based on the way they played in the second half against Penn State and the fact that they were at home. I did not see them being this dominant. And it's been a while. I, I guess the Penn State game last year is the last time we saw them really this dominant against a team that's supposed to yeah. be good? Yeah, I picked Michigan to win on, on Saturday morning. I do a pregame chat with our subscribers, and but I, I thought they'd win by like a point or three points or whatever. And, you know, you started this game, it's like I had flashbacks to 2017 when they lost that just impossibly ugly game in the rain mm-hmm. against Michigan State. Well, when the punt gets like, well, blocked, you're like, rainy. uh-oh. Yeah. It's like it's another, another rainy rivalry game for Harbaugh. They've had a tough season. And it was just anything but that. It was like an old school Michigan beatdown. I mean, they had that stretch where they ran the ball like 18 times in a row in the in the first half. Shea Patterson had two completions at halftime. And they were up 17 nothing. And even in the game, I mean, Patterson was six of 12, 100 yards, and you know they ran 57 times, 303 yards. It was just a total domination. Uh, you know, they played their game, the game they wanted to play. They played the game they needed to play in that environment in that weather and Notre Dame couldn't Notre Dame couldn't run the ball it's the criticism we had of Notre Dame I think early in the season the question is can they consistently run the ball and 
they did not, and Ian Book can, could barely complete a pass. So it's, you know, it's what we saw in the second half at Penn State last week, where Michigan's defense kind of came alive, and we we know that potential is there, despite what Jonathan Taylor did to them earlier this year, and we saw the offense. You know, it wasn't the offense that they wanted to have this year, but it's what they needed to do to win the game. And when you combine it with this an, an unbelievable defensive performance. We kind of saw flashes of the Michigan that many of us thought we might see this whole season. It's a little late, but you know, at this point, any win over a top ten team, any win over a rival, Jim Harbaugh will take it. Absolutely. And so all, all of a sudden, you know, they're in, they're looking pretty good. It can be a top fifteen team. They just crushed Notre Dame, and you know, at least it's some after the kind of moral victory, which is horrible to say for Michigan, but kind of felt that way. They felt a little bit good about the way they came back last week. To, to follow that up with this kind of statement and a rivalry win is just enormous for, for that program. Well, and the other thing is it seems like most of their offensive issues have stemmed from their inability to establish the run. Yeah. Second half against Penn State, certainly against Notre Dame, the entire game, they established the run. They, they were dominant on the ground against Notre Dame. It does seem like they can be a different team if they can run the ball like that. Now, I don't know if they can do that against Ohio State and the caliber of defense that Ohio State has. But against everybody else on their schedule, I think it's doable. Now, they do have to play a suddenly dominant Indiana team down the stretch. So watch out for the Hoosiers. (laughs) Suddenly dominant. (laughs) Indiana being bowl eligible before October is, I mean, what a time to be alive. It's it's remarkable. Did you ever think that would happen in your lifetime? No. Holy Pete Stoyanovich. Did we ever think that Indiana would beat Nebraska would be wearing black shirt alternate jerseys and fall to four and four losing to Indiana at home and Indiana would get bowl eligible winning that game? Like the entire package of that game and nobody was surprised either. It's so weird. And Scott Frost seems so frustrated and everybody laughed at me when I said Nebraska was a tougher rebuild than UCF because they're like, well, he was coming off. They were coming off. 0 and 12 at UCF. And like, yeah, but George O'Leary knew what he was looking for in players. He recruited good players. They just didn't like George O'Leary that last year. Like Mike Riley recruited a team to compete in the big 10 circa 1995. Like he had no idea what he was looking for. And that's what Scott Frost inherited and you're seeing the growing pains of trying to flip that roster. Yeah, and for Indiana, I mean, it's like they they didn't really have a marquee win this year at all, and it's hard to even – we can't even call Nebraska a marquee win because they're 4-4 four and four and just look lost. But for Indiana, it is. No. You know, I don't think they're – they didn't have any votes last week. I don't think they're going to be ranked this week, but they have not been ranked since 1994, uh, which is by far the longest current drought in the Power Five. They have not won a bowl game since 1991. So it's like any win for Indiana is a marquee win, and I don't care what the state of Nebraska is right now. Uh, I mean, hats off to the Hoosiers for actually going in and getting the job done because you got to at least you know yeah Nebraska is not what people thought it was, but it's still a huge positive step for Indiana to take advantage of such a situation, and they did it. And Nebraska is now. I thought the the hype was a little much in the preseason. You know, we we're talking about you know, Adrian Martinez's Heisman odds and Nebraska's Big Ten title odds. And it's like, all right, hold on. Because you're exactly right. It was just because he did it at UCF doesn't mean he was going to, Frost was going to do it at Nebraska. And this is, but this well, is, I think, 
I thought they'd go like eight and four, and now they're staring. They're four and four, and need to call their way to a bowl game, which I didn't think any of us really expected. Here, here's the thing: you you need to be able to win without the quarterback too. It can't be dependent on one quarterback, and that's that's when you've got a program is when you can lose a good quarterback and still keep winning. And Nebraska's not there yet; they're not going to be there for a year or two. He's got to recruit his way to that, and. I just there. That takes time, uh, and I, you look. They're yeah. going to be patient with him. They're 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 going to be more patient than say Florida State is being with Willie Taggart. But they they do have to start showing some improvement sooner, or, or even that patience is going to run out. By the way, the suddenly uh, a juggernaut Indiana, which now I'm starting to wonder how in the world they lost to Michigan State. They can beat Northwestern. They can beat Purdue. I don't have much faith in them against Penn State or Michigan, but should we be looking at eight and four Indiana? Could we be looking at Outback Bowl bound Indiana? We could, and I mentioned those droughts before. They have not won eight games since 1993, so <laughs> I don't care who the wins are against. You know, they beat whatever. They beat UConn. They beat Ball State. They're taking advantage of the uh, extreme terribleness of a couple of their Big Ten East rivals doesn't matter. It's Indiana. It's just like when people tried to like criticize James Franklin's resume at Vanderbilt. Like, oh, the SEC right. East was down. Yeah, but <laughs> Vanderbilt usually loses to the bad teams. Right. They just lost to UNLV. Like, <laughs> so well, I, beating I always, anybody I always, is good. So I always flip that argument. I always say, what other coaches would have won <laughs> right. nine games two years in a row at Vanderbilt? So Tom Allen, congratulations. You're going to be one of those. What other coach would go eight and four at Indiana? And it, I mean, it, hey, they're in the Big Ten East with all these tough teams, but so, but typically Indiana would lose to Nebraska. I don't care how bad Nebraska is, you know. Past Indiana teams might have lost to Ball State. I mean, they didn't. So oh. you know, I, 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 this is not a top twenty-five Indiana team. Even you know they're six and two, and they might go eight and four. But getting to a bowl, being able to potentially finish with a winning record, which it very much looks like they will is an enormous step because they just have not, you know, they're a perennial like five and seven team that just cannot get over the hump with a big win. And no, they're not going to beat like a top 10 team this year. I don't think they have, they do play Penn state. They do play Michigan, but uh, it is clear progress. And you have to feel pretty good when anytime Indiana can beat Nebraska, that has to feel pretty good. Absolutely. Now one, one more stop in our trip around the big 10. Remember when Purdue broke the bank to keep Jeff Brom from going to Louisville? I do. And this has been an unfortunate season, but... <laughs> Remember how much money they've spent on facilities and all that other stuff? They're 2-6 and six right now. Now, look, they can potentially beat Nebraska. They can potentially beat Northwestern. They can potentially beat Indiana, the Indiana team that I'm handing a win to in this in the, the old Oaken Bucket game. But it is the old Oaken Bucket, right? There's no nails involved in that. No kegs. Old oaken bucket. Keg keg of nails. What's that like? It's Louisville, Cincinnati, maybe. <laughs> Do I have that right? Hope I didn't just offend anybody listening. It is keg of nails is Louisville, Cincinnati. It's all they're all very close together. <laughs> so none of them are the land grant trophy. But, but no, let me I, tell I, you. I have I have handed the old. <laughs> no, exactly. Which resides in State College, Pennsylvania, for one more year. Uh, well, for I guess for the first time in a while. Uh, but, no, I've handed the old oaken bucket to Indiana, and I, I'm sorry about that, Purdue, but 
do you think that that they may have jumped the gun on the the let's pay like an SEC school pays? I think Purdue is a team with even with the progress Brom had made, it's a program with a very very small margin for error. He just did sign a good recruiting class, but you know overall, you look at that roster. There's not a ton of depth. There's not a ton of you know top level players and. They have just been ravaged by injuries, you know, terrible injury luck. And yeah, whatever you can say, it's not an excuse. For Purdue, it kind of is. I mean, it's been really bad luck. And I talk about the some of the elite players that they have. Rondell Moore was banged up this year and they've had quarterback injuries, huge defense injuries. Hurt, yeah. So it, it's been bad. And you've just seen they get down to these some of these, you know, backups. And it's it's for Big Ten teams, it's like honestly playing like playing a Mac team. I mean, it's just kind of what the raw, how the roster is constructed. So no, you're not paying Jeff Brom to, to have a season like this, but it's just, it was probably going to be like a seven and five at best type of season. You know, they lost a lot from their defense and everything has gone wrong. And that's not all the head coach's fault. So it's, it's frustrating for sure. And to score only six points against Illinois, which let's give credit to Illinois as well. But uh, so I, it's frustrating, but I, I don't question Purdue and what they did with Brom. Cause I mean, we all saw the, the direction they seem to be going, what he, the success he's had on offense, not only, you know, like last year at Purdue, but at, at Western Kentucky. So it's frustrating, but you kind of stay the course and hope that you can hit reset next year. I feel like. I just find it interesting that he makes more than Ed Orgeron makes. That's you know that's a fair point. <laughs> I think Ed Orgeron's earning himself a raise this year. <laughs> I say Ed Orgeron <laughs> is getting a raise, so I don't have to worry about that. All right, enough wallet peeping, Matt. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for all your insight. You can listen to Matt on the Dear Old State podcast with our Penn State beat writer Audrey Snyder. Matt, what days are those those podcasts dropping? Typically Mondays and Thursdays. All right, for all your Penn State coverage needs and for all of your other coverage needs, we've got you at The Athletic. Whoever your team is, whatever your sport is, subscribe to The Athletic. We cover it all, and we probably have a podcast for it too. If you want to subscribe to The Athletic and you get 40% off your first year, theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. That's theathletic.com slash A-N-D-Y. S-T-A-P-L-E-S, or if you just want to subscribe for free to this lovely show, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on the Google Podcast app, wherever you get your podcast, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review. We love the five-star reviews. We read the best ones on the air. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again on Friday on our subscriber-only show, where we will preview some big games. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party is coming up. And of course, because it's Friday, we'll also give you the secret to happiness. We'll talk to you later.